Hi, it's John here. Today, we're going to do things a bit differently. We're coming up to International Women's Day, and for this episode, we're speaking with some innovative women who are leading the charge in Canadian clean tech. I'm joined by Alison Nankaville, the incoming CEO of Mars Discovery District here in Toronto. Mars is North America's largest urban innovation hub and a nonprofit that provides direct support for startups, enabling a community of innovators to accelerate adoption of high-impact solutions to some of the world's most pressing issues. We're at a roundtable here at Royal Bank Plaza in downtown Toronto, speaking with some of those entrepreneurs who are also part of the RBC Women in Cleantech Accelerator program. Allison and I are joined by Myra Arshad, the CEO of Alltax, which essentially turns food into fabric. We'll hear a lot more about that. Natalie Ashdown, the COO of Avoco, which is focused on sustainable products. Think about using plant-based chemistry for all the products we know and use in our daily lives. And Jackie Hutchins, the CRO of Friendlier, which is out to eliminate single plastics in food delivery. This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm John Stackhouse. Allison, it's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me, John. And I'm delighted to be here with an incredible set of women. And congratulations on your new role. You're not yet officially started, but uh, you're the new leader at Mars. I want to talk first, Allison, about how you got started in finance, because before Mars, you were at BDC, leading a lot of their work in venture capital. And you've got a great career before that, ranging from EDC to Ontario Teachers. Yeah, it's definitely been a wonderful journey working both internationally in finance and then domestically. But I've been so delighted that much of my career has brought me into the Canadian venture capital ecosystem and then having the chance at BDC and now through Mars to work with so many incredible founders and startups. And so I'm very, very excited to take what was working only on the financing side now to having an opportunity as CEO to work in a much more holistic way with amazing community of people who make up our venture ecosystem. And what inspired you first to get into finance? It's always been a question of empowering companies to be able to do the things that they want to do, you know, all different types. Early days, I was working very much with export-oriented companies and the effort of them to try to tackle new markets. They need capital to do that. And then when moving into private equity and venture capital, it's about having that risk capital to truly build a business. And all of those things take passion and vision. And it's always a wonderful thing to be part of realizing somebody's vision. What a great calling. Uh, and we're going to hear from some of those entrepreneurs now. I'll let them say a bit about their work, and then we'll open the discussion. Myra, let's start with you. Welcome back to Disruptors. You've been on the podcast before. What inspired you to start your own company and Altex in particular? Yeah, thanks so much, John, for having me again. Altex is my way of making an impact on this planet. I think every entrepreneur can say that they would not feel fulfilled through a nine to five. So Altex is my attempt to contribute to the planet in a way that a standard nine to five corporate job did not allow me to previous to Altex. Uh, as you know, Altex is a biotech startup. We've created a biodegradable and recyclable alternative to polyester that's re-engineered from food waste. Food and fashion are two of the world's most polluting industries. And by combining them, I see that as a pathway that uh, my team and I can actually make an impact. Entrepreneurship is not nine to five. That's one of my takeaways from this. Natalie, uh, how did you get into the tech business? I started my career in um, materials and process engineering and um, 
you know, I was lucky to get into environmental and sustainable or clean technology. I helped to build one of the UK's first third generation bioethanol facilities. And that really shaped a lot of my career. My partner, who is the co-founder of Evoco, he is also a chemical engineer. And when we were expecting our first child, we battled to choose a mattress for the crib. And every time we looked at the ingredients, we saw there was something there that we just couldn't have in this mattress because we knew it was toxic. So not only did we realize that we could create materials that would reduce the carbon impact, but actually we could detoxify a lot of the materials that we use in our daily lives, our mattresses, the chairs we sit on the cars we drive in, and our clothes. So that's where it started. That's how we were inspired. We created the basic chemical building blocks. We started in the footwear industry. And by adapting those basic building blocks, we can go into many different applications. Jacqueline, what drew you into tech? Similar to Natalie, I was also a chemical engineer. I studied chemical engineering and worked in a number of manufacturing plants where you see the linear economy right in the flesh. You see us mass producing items that you know are going to be thrown away. And it just didn't feel fulfilling. Similarly to what Myra said, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life working a nine to five, contributing to this problem while we see all of these climate issues that are arising. And so my co-founder Kaylee and I sat down and we, we thought, what can we do to fix this? And we discovered the circular economy. And so we decided to use technology to make it really easy for businesses to offer reusable packaging in place of single-use packaging so that instead of using something once and throwing it away, we're getting the full value of products before it's then recycled or repurposed. What great, inspiring stories. Alison, I want to turn the conversation to you because we're approaching International Women's Day. And as we all know, there aren't enough women in clean tech. Uh, They're not getting enough funding. You've been part of this for a number of years. What do you think we need to come to grips with? Part of it is having those first few champions, both on the capital side as well as on the company side, who are really setting the examples. And that's what we've been trying to do really hard at Mars, working with RBC on our Women in Clean Tech Accelerator. I think it's important for these incredible women to be the role models for that next generation of clean tech company creation for women. But also on the capital side, When I started in the business, which is too long ago to mention here, we probably had 5% at most of venture capital going to women. It's gone up in the last 10 years. It's about 20% now in Canada, but in the U.S., it's only 3%. So there's a lot still to be done in this area to allow women to have the visibility, the access to capital to really grow their businesses. And so what Mars really wants to do is create a community of companies, corporates, capital allocators, those venture capital firms, those corporate buyers, to really show that women who are leading these types of companies can succeed in just the same way. But it does take building a community, and that's what we're trying to do here with the accelerator that we've worked with you on. Myra, you're nodding your head to almost everything Allison is saying. What have been the challenges for you, and and what can you share maybe as some insight and inspiration of how you've uh, overcome those barriers? The reason I was nodding my head so much is it sounds like Allison is saying is there needs to be systemic change, right? Right now, the system is not favored for women, but there's a way to do it by planting the seeds. And each of us can be seeds that then show representation for other women to come into the space and we expand from there. And I think the biggest challenge for me when starting was 
could I even do this? Are there are there role models or are there success stories for me to look at that I can then follow in the footsteps of? And although there are some fantastic ones, those are not the ones that we choose to amplify. When you look at women who are running companies, it's not a performance issue. It's not a merit issue. It's just a visibility issue. Even if there's a smaller amount of us, if we're creating visibility like we are through this podcast and like what Mars is doing with the Women in Clean Tech Accelerator, then more and more of the folks that are more junior to us see that representation and they're inspired to pull into that. So that, that was the biggest challenge for me is just that imposter syndrome around, am I equipped to do this? And it was solved by finding supporters like the folks from Mars and other ecosystems that gave me the confidence and the resources to realize that there was no systemic difference or innate difference in what I was able to do versus any of my counterparts. And one of the things I was I was going to raise is this sense of community. That's what I'm hearing around the table, that you're building a network, that you are becoming permanent colleagues, friends, contacts that are continuing to draw upon each other's advice, experience. And I, I'm just... I'm really interested to hear a bit more about that because I think for women, right, it's been very, very difficult to have the same innate networks that have been on the male side of the venture capital world for some time. Yeah. One thing that we're always looking for is peers that are going through the same thing. Because for me, all of my good friends are engineers and they work in plants. So they're great friends, but they don't understand what it's like to try and raise capital or to fire an employee. But when you get into these communities like Mars, you get to meet other founders in other spaces who who they get it. And that can keep you going because you know you're going through something hard. They've been through something hard. We're going to get through it together. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Even working with Myra, you know, we work in a very similar industry. Often we can share uh, similar candidates for roles. I guess it's exactly what you said when we were on the clean tech um, program. We were able to discuss our HR issues because that's a big one for all of us. So having the programs that we have in Mars and the network we have in Mars has been incredible for us and we're really lucky. I have to add to that, and I don't know if you girls will, will relate to this, but coming back to that imposter syndrome or lack of visibility growing up, I feel like we crave each other's presence so much more, right? Because the norm is you have a bunch of guys in a, in a hack house or whatever it is coding and, and creating the startup, but because there's fewer of us when we're in each other's company, it means so much more to us. And as a result, I think we we build a lot more enduring networks that have a lot more meaning and a lot more genuine connection. Allison, you pointed out the idea of community and uh, the community just as in entrepreneurs. Uh, it's uh, the folks who are going to, to back you. I'm curious what you've seen in terms of how that is evolving because there's lots of capital out there, lots of funds, good initiatives to increase funding, particularly for female founders, and yet it's not doing enough. What's keeping us back? Well, I think we have made some progress and my former employer, BDC, actually was quite instrumental in that. When I was running the fun side of the the business, we spent a lot of time with first-time managers, many of whom were women who were setting up their own venture capital firms for the first time. And I think that need to put more women in the market as decision makers on capital is really important because one of the things that we've certainly discussed is the vocabulary of how women-led companies and women founders talk about their businesses and pitch their businesses to investors can sound very different than how men do it. And often without 
women to help sort of understand that vocabulary and how it might be different. Venture capital fund managers, they really weren't getting the message. They were thinking of these women as not being confident or not being ambitious enough. And, you know, Part of what makes for a good society, both on the founder and on the capital side, is diversity of experience and diversity of thought. I think this this is somewhere we've made progress in Canada. There's still much more to be done. But I think in some ways we've become a little bit more aware of that over the last few years. And certainly in my time at BDC, I moved our portfolio from probably 10 to you know, 15% women-led firms that I was backing to 42%. I just wanted to follow on that. I think it's really a, a, a big point as the first check because entrepreneurs create new products. They create a better product that needs to come to market. And how do you get that product to market? And how do you get the funding? And I think that's the biggest hurdle for entrepreneurs. How do you get over that first step? And there isn't a lot that Canada has to offer, to be honest, in terms of the first check, whether it's you know from seed investors family, banks. Canada's a very small market and a very conservative market, risk-averse market. Yeah, for us, we had to get very creative when it came to that. And our business is less capital intensive to start. And that really helped us because we were able to start the business on, you know, the couple thousand dollars that we had in our bank accounts and just drain it out. And luckily, we were students at the time. So there were some pitch competitions that you could get. But it's like, how do you make every penny count? And then getting something that you can show to an investor eventually and say, yeah, we have something that could be something. It was quite challenging. We had to go back to the drawing board and kind of rethink the way that we were talking. Because when you talk in in the way that's certain and that we feel most confident in, that's not enough often. So now it's like, okay, let's speak the language of these investors and change the way we're talking about our businesses so that we fit in, but then create the world behind us where women don't have to change the way that they're speaking and that they can just show up as they are and, and be heard. How have you changed your pitch? We learn to be more aggressive and more confident in our numbers. It's just channeling your inner Chad and really just <laughs> getting really confident. I love that. As women, we often feel like we have to embody traditional male characteristics to appeal to them, right? And you should always just be yourself. If talking a certain way comes natural to you, that's that's totally how you should be. But oftentimes we force ourselves in terms of our body language or our mannerisms to embody something that they can actually see. Whereas they should just learn to accept that women are innately different. We're more compassionate. We're more empathetic. We look at different things and that has equal value to what they value. And you're right, it's such a transition period for us. But I think the reason the stats are still 3% or 20% is because that systemic change as we go through this process is going to be seen two generations or three generations from now, where hopefully it becomes that 50-50. It's a tougher market now. Higher interest rates, lower economy, harder to raise capital. Curious how everyone has adjusted to that, what you've learned from uh, this down cycle and how your business is pivoting. 
Yeah, I'll jump in quickly because I want to just riff off of a, a comment that was made previously around the first check and how difficult it is to get that first source of funding. As hard as it was early in the days, it's taught all of us to be more resourceful founders. So for instance, in the beginning when we couldn't have any venture capitalists take us seriously and we couldn't get any government body to fund us, instead of just saying we just can't get the money, we would write letters to the board directors of those organizations to say, hey, we're not eligible, but let us apply anyway. And then they would send us a pre-application to then submit the application. And it, it tripled the amount of work we had to do. Um, or when we didn't get into an incubator, we would we would contact the co-chairs of the incubator and say, hey, here's why we deserve a seat. And we would force and demand and scream our way in. And you're talking about the economic downturn. But the reason that's relevant is because we are so equipped to be resourceful now that there isn't an economic downturn that I don't think that we'd survive. Do others feel that way? I don't know. I see... Talented people leaving Canada are going to the U.S. because there's more funding there. And that's sad. Yes, we have to be resourceful, of course. Um, but I do think that things need to change. I think particularly in clean tech, it's underfunded. Uh, we need more subsidies. We need more support. We need more investment. Um, and something has to change on the investor side um, where we are seen differently. Um, how are we pivoting? It is difficult. It's what we've had to learn in order to grow a company, you need to spend. But at the same time, you have to uh, manage your risks. So it's been really tricky. Yeah, I think this is a real issue, is that um, Canada's venture market is shallow. There just isn't the depth and the variety of capital. Mm -hmm. And clean tech in particular is a real shortage on the seed stage. And that's doubly hard, I think, as a woman working at the seed stage. And clean, clean tech is difficult because... There's one name for a lot of different types of businesses, some of them more capex intensive, some of them less so, some of them much more related to industry. That makes it hard because, you know, when you think about fund managers, venture capital fund managers out there, some of them may be familiar, less familiar, less comfortable in some of these spaces you're working. And so it does make it hard to, to get that um, pitch to resonate and land as it does. And I agree that we need to do more. But I would also say the U.S. has always been a big part of the Canadian market. Our challenge is not having them come up and fund as much as it is coming up and telling these companies to come back to the United States or to become Delaware-based companies instead of, you know, Canadian incorporated companies. That's a really bad habit we're trying to break. Yeah. And I think a lot of our competitors, I'm sure for you as well, they're getting 10 times the investment that we get. So it makes it more difficult for us. I suspect the Inflation Reduction Act has maybe even increased that 10x factor. Um, curious how you're all thinking about that, uh, whether you see it as a sucking sound or maybe just a competitive driver. But there's a lot of free money uh, available in the U.S. or a lot more available in the U.S. than here. What, uh, what do you think Canada needs to do right now or this year that can really start to, to move the dial? There's a few things. One is that we have to recognize where we are and play to our strengths. Certainly one of our strengths is clean tech, actually, as a nation. I mean, we have 12 of the top 100 clean tech champions globally are Canadian, which is extraordinary given our population and our innovation ecosystem funding. So there's no doubt we punch up on our, our weight in terms of innovation. But to Natalie's point, we're not always necessarily lining up all our resources so that smoothly companies can go from that 
that origination to commercialization through to starting to scale and find all those resources in Canada. That's one thing at Mars we're very concerned about is that the value chain of how companies go from first concept through to truly having scaling opportunities and find those support structures all the way along in Canada is an area where I think we have to focus because we all know we will have fewer resources going forward. But if we actually coordinate what's out there a little better, the the same way these incredible founders have all sort of supported each other in a network effect, I think that those services both on the government and the private side need to have a bit more of a coordinated network effect to, to sort of push the level of resource impact to be greater so that we can work with less but actually do more. I think that's such a such great points. And I think another side of this is other policy, right? At the end of the day, in Canada, we need to create companies that are foundationally designed for change. And you can't impact foundation any better than policy shifts. So I'll use our industry as an example. We have food and fashion. If there are policies put in place that are encouraging better diversion of food waste or better diversion and recycling and biodegradation of textiles, that's an automatic win for us. And the government today is is very risk averse, not only in the macroeconomic policies, but policies we know will lead to a more successful landscape for innovators and companies like ours. So policy shifts, listening to what innovators want and adjusting the competitive landscape to favor them, everything else will kind of just follow through. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, also in our industry, California is Prop 65. Europe's doing amazing stuff to make sure that companies are adopting more sustainable practices. And I think that's really what's needed to propagate the industry and and help companies like ours. There's a lot of red tape and administrative work that is involved in swapping out a product. So when companies don't have that incentive or the policies are not in place, there is little reason to make changes and adopt new technologies. And I think it's important that they listen to the innovators and understand what's out there, because oftentimes they're so hesitant to make a policy because they don't think there's any solution. So in the packaging world, they've they've banned single-use plastics, but they don't look at anything else. And so now when you look at packaging, anytime you get something now, it's going to be a single-use other material, (laughs) right? And it's just, let's swap out plastics for something else. And can you imagine if we swapped out all the plastics in the world for paper? There wouldn't be enough trees in the world to sustain that. We're currently cutting down a forest the size of the UK every year just for paper packaging. So I think it's important to pay attention to, you know, the implications of all of the policies that we're making and make sure that it's headed in the right direction and that it's supporting innovation and not just supporting the swap from one material to the next. It's so silly to think that policy is reactive instead of proactive. If it was proactive, they could fuel the economy so much faster, but they wait for everyone to be stuck and then open the doors, which is very unfortunate. As we move towards close, and this has been a great conversation, so I hate to uh, take it towards close, but I wonder if I can ask you what each of you hope and dream your company will be 10 years from now? And maybe what does Canada need to do to ensure you get there? It's a tough one. 10 years from now, at a very practical level, we should not be wearing plastic as clothes, right? It's 2024, 60% of the clothes we wear are made of plastic and we're extremely dependent on it. And with the increasing disposable nature of fashion, it just can't stand. So 10 years from now, plastic or petroleum as the feedstock will be replaced by food waste and Altex will have a big hand in taking a large proportion of the fabric that is displaced. 
Uh, but more importantly, in doing so, we're able to advocate inside the supply chain for more ethical and more sustainable and more transparent practices. In the same way, our company is able to advocate for women in tech and women in leadership and women in entrepreneurship. Um, I would say over 80% of our team is women right now, and they're all incredibly smart and they're doing such an incredible job. And it's not just limited to their everyday task. It's the impact they're going to leave behind to the students at the University of Waterloo who are seeing them or co-op students or students that we mentor and so forth. So business impact, sustainability impact, but also just trying to connect some more women and show them that entrepreneurship is an option for their future. We dream of a world with no packaging waste. And so in 10 years, we want to see Canada completely eliminate the single-use package. And so we're hoping to build that infrastructure so that anything that goes out can come back. So just in the same way you bring your beer bottles back to the beer store, you can bring back your your takeout packaging. You can bring back your containers of uh, peanut butter. Um, We think that in the way that you put out your recycle, but it doesn't actually get recycled, let's put out things to actually be collected, reused, washed, and keep in circulation so that our landfills aren't overflowing and we don't have to ship half of our waste to the states or overseas. I think for us in 10 years' time, I'd like to see our products in more applications. So being able to roll out our chemistry into different markets. Uh, For us, partnerships have been really instrumental in scaling our business and growing our business. And, you know, I'm hoping that we get strategic partnerships that'll help us do this. Allison, when you hear stories like these, then they're inspiring stories. What do you think we collectively can take advantage of and help with? Well, I think from an ecosystem, we as the partners helping entrepreneurs scale and and realize that ambition, it's about bringing all the right ingredients together at the right time. So it's, it's the advice, it's the corporate connections, it's the capital, it's the access and introductions to markets, it's creating that network of support that each of these founders need from each other to share um, their experiences and learn from each other. And I think just finding that model of how we do that as efficiently and as, uh, I would say, as broad a network as we can, to Myra's point, is like we just need more entrepreneurs who have a better, broader support service out there for us to see entrepreneurship truly transform the economic future of Canada, right? I think that's that's what we need. We need a machinery that the kinds of things we see at Mars, and we need it scaled to a much greater chance so that We see wherever you are in Canada, you find the support structures that truly give you a path forward to build that incredible business that you want to build. What a great message. We need more entrepreneurs, certainly as as a country. Maybe that leads to a final question. There are a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to our podcast and would-be entrepreneurs. I'm curious what your advice is for them, especially for female entrepreneurs and uh, would-be entrepreneurs, if you can give one piece of advice to leave people with. Myra, maybe we can start with you. I would say you're going to spend the same amount of time on your business, regardless of what you're building. Why not go out there and build the craziest thing that you could possibly think of and try to have the most impact that you could possibly leave? And if you find some resources like what Mars has equipped us with and what venture capitalists and other people in the ecosystem have brought to us, you have a pretty high chance of success that you might not realize until you start. So think big and just get started. Yeah, I love that idea of just get started. But I also think it's, there's tons of great examples, like 
you guys are such great examples of women who are doing really cool things. I think find someone to look up to, find a mentor, even if you don't know them per se, but someone to inspire you to continue to um, advance your career. Because I think it's it's such an important thing. Um, you know, boys who want to be hockey players have that example. They watch the NHL, they practice, they get ready, and uh, they, they aspire to be that. If you have a role model that you can aspire to be, that you see them out there doing it, then it just shows you, like, I can do it too. And it gives you that confidence to continue to move forward. Yeah, build on that. Find a strategic partner, particularly one who could be a customer, because it'll help with market adoption, product validation. You'll know a lot more before you're ready to go to market with your product. And hopefully they'll become your first customer. So that's definitely something I would recommend to any entrepreneur. Allison, this has been such an inspiring conversation, but curious as you reflect on some of the ideas and experiences that have been shared here, what goes through your mind and what should people take away from it? I think one of the things is don't underestimate the generosity of spirit out there to give back and to help you as a founder as you move forward. I think the venture capital community sometimes does get a bad knock of it's all about elbows out and we're not getting enough capital and it's very competitive. But in fact, I would tell you in the broader innovation ecosystem in Canada, I've never seen a community of people who want to support and champion so much those founders who come to them with inspiring ideas. And so my advice thinking about that to anybody out there who has a company or who wants to build a company is don't be shy to step forward and start a conversation with somebody in that community. You'd be surprised at how much time they'll give to you and help you take that step to the next direction to the next person who's going to help you. That sort of sense of community and generosity, I think, is one of the most magical parts of being in this business. And, and we just need to keep building on that from going from strength to strength. What a great note to end on. I've written down so much here, but uh, a few key words, mentors, partners, and generosity. We should all be generous, but understand that most people are generous too, uh, especially in tech. And that's what community, back to your original point, Allison, is all about. This is a great community here. Thank you all for being part of it and being on Disruptors. Thank you so much for having us. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. Until next time, I'm John Stackhouse. Disruptors, an RBC podcast, is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Disruptors content, visit rbc.com disruptors and leave us a five-star rating if you like our show.